Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Broadcast from the Under the Sea Radio Show on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, take a look into the world of koi ponds, water gardens, and the lifestyles of the aquatically obsessed. Meet the pros, hobbyists, and cover some no-nonsense pond advice straight from the field. The Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, here's your host, koi pond and water garden expert, Mike Gannon. Hey, everybody. Hey, 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 everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Am I coming in loud and clear? Hopefully you guys can all hear me out there. I got a new microphone headset that I'm using, so I hope everything sounds pretty good out there. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas. How's everybody doing tonight? So glad you guys could make it tonight. You got a heck of a show in store for you tonight. You picked the right show to tune into at this moment. You guys are in the right place at the right time, listening to the right show. Welcome. Welcome to the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast. Uh, welcome to new listeners. Welcome back for those of you who have been tuning in. And thank you all so much for being here. My name is Mike Gannon, and I am your host here on the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast. And this is a show that is in the pursuit of all things aquatic. And if you are one of the aquatically obsessed, you have found home base here, right here on episode 21 of the Pond Hunter Radio broadcast, coming to you from Blog Talk Radio. Um, that's blogtalkradio.com slash thepondhunter. You guys can check out the show there. And these shows are all archived for you there for your listening pleasure. So we're on episode 21. The back shows are all there. You can listen to them anytime for your pleasure. For su placer, tengo todos los programas archivados por allá en Blog Talk. Escúchalos cuando quiere. Los presento con mucho gusto. And you can also find the archived episodes on iTunes. Did you know you can find the show on iTunes? I think it's great. Let me tell you how easy it is. Just go to iTunes and search for The Pond Hunter. <laughs> it's actually that easy. You can follow the show from iTunes. Or, even better, follow the show and leave me a message. Leave me a comment or a review, something like that. Uh, I'd love to hear from you guys. And from iTunes, you can listen to the show anytime, anywhere. If you're on the road, in the gym, in the house. You could do what my friend Steve Palaki does and listen to the show while he's working in his office. Hey, Steve. But if you're listening live tonight, December 17th, 2014, you can... Not only listen, but you can call in tonight, too, and you can talk with our guest. Pretty psyched tonight. Our guest tonight is Ed Ballou. Ed Ballou from the Pond Stars TV show that aired on Nat Geo Wild. He's the scientist from the Pond Stars TV show and a world-class pond builder, educator, mentor, and 
Chief of Sustainability at Aquascape Incorporated, and he'll be with us here tonight on the Pond Hunter. How cool is that? I'm so psyched. Freaking Ed Ballou. Um, if you want to talk to Ed tonight, the number to call in is 914-803-4557. If you want some expert feedback, if you want a chance to talk with one of the world's top POM professionals, tonight is a night. Ed will be here shortly. Don't miss this opportunity. We'd both love to hear from you. And again, the uh, number is 914-803-4557. That's Ed Ballou, folks, tonight. Um, on the last Pond Hunter radio broadcast, my guest was Charles B. Thomas. Charles was a great guest. I was really uh, happy to have him come on. And we got into the history of 20th century pond industry and pond keeping, um, especially on the water gardening side of it. Uh, this, this was, you know, a lot of this was before koi were even introduced to the states here. Um, and Charles was a great guest. He had tons of cool information on how the industry and the hobby was in the 1900s. It sounds so strange to call it the 1900s because it sounds so long ago, but it wasn't that long ago, but it's history. And, um, you know, understanding what happened then helps us understand the 21st century pond industry and hobby. And um, Charles is the retired president of Lily Ponds Water Gardens. Um, out there in Maryland, um, which is a family business. It's a water gardening business started by his grandfather in 1917. So Lily Ponds is coming up on 100 years soon. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing. It's still run by the family. Um, and Charles is also founder of the International Water Lily and Water Garden Society. Um, it was a really interesting show. I think you would love it. Episode 20. So go check out episode 20 of the Pond Hunter radio broadcast and learn how the pond and water garden industry existed before social media existed. And, uh, you know, I love using social media, uh, especially to check out the world of ponds and water gardens. And like some of you, I use Facebook. And, uh, you know, I've joined various groups um, on Facebook, groups based on different interests that I have, of course, um, like music interests, hobbies, different hobby groups, professional groups too, of course, and I belong to several um, koi pond and water garden specific groups. And of course, people like to talk about their ponds, um, their aquatic plants, their fish, their filtration systems, you know, basically how their ponds are built, anything about them. And they talk about what works for them or what does not work for them. And um, I especially love seeing all the different approaches to pond keeping because there's many ways that people go about, um, you know, doing this really amazing hobby, if you will, or lifestyle. And uh, I've seen some very smart, practical pond systems. I've seen some, um, unfortunately, I've seen some ponds that have no chance of success. And you just can tell that they're kind of doomed to struggle unless improvements are made. And I've seen some pretty far out do-it-yourself systems. I mean, wow. Amazing stuff. And it shows tons of, tons of effort. Um, I know, you know, what type of work goes into some of those systems. And I see many of them. Um, and it's not necessarily how I would do it. But hey, you know what? If it works for the people who create them, 
then who am I to criticize? If it keeps them happy and uh, they enjoy it, then, you know, I love it all. And I, I say more power to them. And it's, it really is. It's really cool to see these things through my computer screen, but outside of the electronic world of pond keeping um, that we all have a foot in. As, as a pond professional in the real world, the non-electronic world, I also see every type of pond. Natural mud bottom ponds, fiberglass prefab ponds, plastic shells, liner ponds, concrete ponds, and of course, rock and gravel ponds. I love seeing them all and having that direct personal experience with all of them. I love it. I love my job. And I've been doing this for 20 years now as a profession. And uh, for me, I, I don't take any exception as to how people construct their ponds. I don't judge, even when a pond is lined with blue plastic tarp. You know, I don't judge that. I'll, I'll definitely make some suggestions to help that pond keeper, um, but I won't judge what they've built unless it was professionally installed. That would be a whole different ballgame. But pond building and, and what people create for themselves, uh, it's a very personal thing for most pond owners. So I love checking out how everybody goes about their pond keeping. Uh, and I see what works and what does not work while I'm out there. I'm working with ponds pretty much every day. And um, it's very interesting to see everything that's, that's going on. For me personally, I built my pond using gravel inside of it. Um, and I build ponds professionally using rock and gravel as a standard in my construction. Um, I don't build concrete ponds, not to say that uh, they can't be succe successful. It's just not how I happen to build ponds, just like guys who built concrete ponds don't build with rock and gravel, typically. But I can't help but notice, especially in these forums and groups, those people who share their story about their ponds that use gravel for filtration and aesthetic purposes. Um, a lot of them are very likely going to be met with some harsh criticisms, criticism based on the usage of, of gravel in their pond. And uh, all too often I've seen the criticisms turn into downright personal insults and attacks. It's weird. It can be ugly. It can actually get pretty ugly. Who knows? Possibly dangerous. There's some... Um, tricky-minded people out there, and it's a strange world we live in. I've, I've definitely seen it happen to others. I've experienced it personally. Um, and many of the criticisms, in my opinion, are pretty far-fetched as well. Uh, many of the criticisms are never even backed up or supported again by the critic. Almost every time, it's more of a hit-and-run tactic. You get the criticism, they make some wildly inaccurate or outrageous claim, or a very scary story about gravel in the ponds, and then they disappear. I see it all the time. So when criticisms come my way, I, I answer them with some facts, facts based on years of field experience and additional experience just from being a lifelong hobbyist. But I've spent countless hours and years observing and studying the behavior of ponds. It's my job. It's my profession. I, I have to. I have to know what's happening with these things. And, and I've seen excellence and I've seen miserable failure. And for each of those experiences, I always ask why. Why is this pond successful? Why is this pond failing? And uh, after such a long time doing this, naturally, 
patterns emerge. You start noticing some some common things with successful ponds or failing ponds. There are patterns, and of course, there's many factors that make up a successful or failing pond. Um, one of them being the use of gravel in pond systems. For the most part, I do see that gravel ponds tend to be much more stable. Many of you may not want to believe that, but I have no reason to lie to you. I'm I'm reporting what I see in the field. I have no motivation to give you skewed advice. Gravel ponds have more stable long-term water conditions and fish health and tend to rely less on gadgets, chemicals, water quality manipulation, and lots of equipment to achieve certain results, which in essence makes them less maintenance. And I know some of you want to kill me right now. I use gravel in my ponds. How could I? Well, we're really going to explore this topic tonight, and we'll be doing it with one of the world's top pond experts, Ed Blue. And, um, you know, some people are so passionate about this topic. They, they hate gravel. They really hate gravel. Um, they're passionate about it. They're outspoken about it. They have very, very scary stories regarding gravel. They're anti-gravites. That's what they are. And this divide among pond keepers actually bothers me. Um, I don't like seeing it. I would love for all of us to get along. I appreciate what everybody's doing out there. Um, I think if we understand each other's approaches to pond keeping rather than bashing them, um, we're going to move this hobby and lifestyle forward instead of going round and round. So let's try to shed some light on this topic tonight. And uh, it's a great time of year to shed light. Does everybody have their lights up? It's the holidays, man. It's that time of year. Uh, did you decorate around your pond? I did. I, I hope you guys are all ready for the holidays. You got all your gifts bought because Christmas is only a week away. And um, hey, if you want to send me a gift, I'll take a bottle of Koi Pond Cellars wine. Be very happy to take that. Um, so yeah, I got my house lit and I got my pond lit. While I do this show in the Pond Hunter Studios, my pond is right behind me. I'm turning around, looking at it now. Oh, it's just lovely. It's lovely. I got all sorts of lights back there. It's really cool. I love it. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, the, definitely uh, it's something that we need to to uh, take a look at, and we'll try to open up this topic a little bit and um, take it from there and get some better understanding of what we have going on um, with using gravel and ponds. Uh, my shout-out tonight is to all of you who listen live to each show, The Aquatically Obsessed. I see you guys are out there. And I thank you all so much for tuning in to each show. You guys are great. You guys are awesome. So, okay. So, hey, what? Stick around, everybody. Coming up, we have Mr. Ed Ballou. Um, We're going to take a quick commercial break from the show's sponsor, Full Service Aquatics, which is my company. And we'll be right back with Ed Ballou, everybody. Do you love your pond? Full-service aquatics, water garden, and koi pond experts can give you a pond you can live with. Full-service aquatics, an award-winning water garden, koi pond, and water feature design and installation firm has been creating amazing aquatic environments since 1995. Got waterfall? Full-service aquatics can make your old waterfall or pond look like new with our waterfall, koi pond, and water garden renovation and repair services. 
visit FullServiceAquatics.com or call 908-277-6000 to speak with a Full Service Aquatics Pond professional today. That's FullServiceAquatics.com or 908-277-6000. Full Service Aquatics, a pond you can live with. Visit LoveYourPond.com. Full Service Aquatics, world-class water features since 1995, a pond you can live with. And we're looking forward to our 20th anniversary coming up in 2015. That's right. Can't wait. It's almost here. And Ed Blue is almost here tonight, folks. He's going to be coming up in just a moment. Um, But first, real quick, let's define uh, pond gravel. Like, what is gravel? It's It's, what is it? Where does it come from? Is it collected? Is it produced? Why are so many people passionate about it? Generally, it's a collection of pebbles. (laughs) The fact is, gravel is actually a pretty diverse material. It comes in many forms and shapes, sizes, colors, densities, porosities, um, and it's harvested from nature as well as produced at quarries. It can be rounded, jagged, cobbled, it really is a diverse material. For the, so for the sake of this upcoming discussion, let's define what we'll be talking about this evening. Gravel, as we're going to be talking about it, is a stone-based material. Um, it's not made of any other material. For example, you won't find wood gravel, plastic gravel. Gravel only occurs um, within a specific size range as well. These different sizes are referred to as grains. Just like there's different size grains of rice, grains of gravel can range from three-eighths of an inch up to six inches. Some people even define gravel up to eight-inch grain size. Um, But once a grain size has exceeded that eight-inch maximum, it's now a stone or a rock. Keep going bigger, and it's a boulder. If the grain is less than three-eighths, it's typically typically considered grit. Smaller than grit, it becomes screenings and sand. So gravel, generally defined, for what we're talking, is a stone material with a grain size between three-eighths and six inches. But for our purposes, that's still a very broad definition. Um, The majority of gravel that falls within those parameters probably would not be suitable for use in a koi pond or water garden. So to boil it down, the gravel we will be considering tonight is a natural stone. It's not produced from pounding larger stone into pieces. It's a rounded, smooth grain with its size between three-quarter inch to one inch. That's important to remember. Three-quarter inch to one inch grain, rounded. And that should be considered a standard grain to use for the purposes we are discussing here tonight with Ed Ballou. And I'm so excited to have our guest here tonight. Ed Ballou is many things to many people in the world of ponds and water gardens and uh, is considered one of the top pond builders in the world. He is a world-class pond expert. And this is not the type of recognition that comes easy or overnight. Operating at a world-class level in any given profession is a designation that is given to very few on this planet. It's not an achievement that comes overnight or without a great deal of very, very hard work and I'm sure many sacrifices along the way as well. The world-class professionals are a special few. Ed happens to be one of them, and uh, Ed is here with us tonight. Um, He is one of the founding members. Hey, Ed, how are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing really, really well. 
so glad to have Excellent. you with us here tonight. Thank you so much for taking time to be here. Not a problem. My pleasure. How's everything going out there? How's how's things out in Chicago land? Everything is going great out here in Chicago. You know, we've had a uh, an interesting season uh, overall. So uh, you know, the weather has uh, you know dictates what we do on a daily basis when we're outside building ponds. Um, you know, we are uh, we're slaves to the to the to the weather conditions and you know what we have to deal with. So we had uh, a pretty good overall season. It got really cold in November. Everything froze solid. We thought we were done for the season. And then it thawed out and it turned everything to mud, but at least it thawed out and we were able to uh, to get back to work. So we're in the process of wrapping up a few projects right now, um, you know, right here before the holidays. And then at that point, I think we'll probably be done, you know, by the time it comes to Monday, Tuesday next week. And, uh, you know, then it all goes down into planning and getting ready for, you know, flower and garden shows. I have speaking engagements around the country. Um, we have some out-of-state projects that we're going to be working on, you know, in southern climates. Um, so there's a lot of things happening. And then as soon as, uh, as, soon as March hits, uh, we start getting ready for maintenance and construction here in Chicago again. Yeah, off and running again. It'll probably be here before we all know it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the Chicagoland area, I, I, I love it. You know, I, I come out there every year to see you guys and be part of the Pondemonium event. And the more I go out there, the more I love it. Chicago is a great area. But uh, like you're saying, you guys have some pretty extreme weather conditions out there. I've I've been out there in, um, I mean, just incredibly high temperatures. <laughs> and I know it gets very, oh my very cold out there as well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, we get uh, a pretty good mix. You know, we have, uh, I guess, the the best of all the seasons. So we get super, super hot in the summer. We get a lot of rain in spring. Fall will bring in some of those intense uh, Chicago winds that we have. And then wintertime could be brutally, brutally cold. So yeah, it's, uh, I guess I've grown up here, so I'm used to it. But when I visit other places, I'm very jealous because uh, we have a lot of stuff that we deal with here that not a lot of other places deal with. Yeah, I mean you got to build ponds that are really prepared for all sorts of the, all sorts of elements, all sorts of conditions. So you're going to be busy oh, yeah. coming up. You're you're going to be away from your your new farmhouse. How's that coming along? Yeah, yeah. Everything. You know what? Everything's coming along great here. We have a ton of work go, uh, happening. Obviously, um, you know, just doing renovation and everything. And every time I go outside and I walk the property with the dog and everything, you know, I'm I'm always my mind is constantly turning about uh, you know my ultimate water feature. So now that I have uh, at least some acreage uh, to de to work with now, I could design you know an unbelievable feature. I so I I started the process a little bit. Um, I am going to install a small pond um, probably this spring, but my big pond that might be a year or two away still. But I'm I'm starting the process, so I have to bring in hundreds and hundreds of. Uh, of uh, yards of soil, I'm going to literally build a mountain in the in the back corner of the property because I want a nice big giant waterfall, twisting, turning streams and pockets and pools. Bring in some big boulders. It'll be more of a recreational style pond, um, so it'll incorporate uh, multi multiple areas of the property with seating areas and swim zones, um, areas just for contemplation and relaxation. Um, you know, the other areas for viewing fish, um, aquatic plants, you know, all these different things are going to be tied together. So it's going to be a spectacular project. But right now I, I don't have the time and I, I don't have the money. So I'm going to have to hold off a yeah. little bit. <laughs> Two resources that that are desperately needed when building an amazing project. <laughs> time Absolutely. and money. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And how's Kevin Bacon doing? Is he behaving himself? Uh, <laughs> Kevin is doing really well. <laughs> so uh, we just finished up. We had a, uh, um, I built like a little barn for him um, on the property. So uh, he was, the place that he was staying at before was a little bit rougher. Um, so now it's fully insulated. He's got his own heat in there. So he's he's kind of living it up out there. So it's nice. You know, he, he gets his treats. He has access to get outside. Um, but uh, this time of the year, He's kind of like the rest of us. He he slows down quite a bit, you know. When these uh, short days and long nights come in, you know, he wants to he wants to uh, wrap himself up in a big bale of hay and just kind of kick back and relax and sleep it and sleep a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And and for a point of reference, everybody, Kevin Bacon is is Ed's pig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah one of the one of the many animals we have here on the property so since we have a, a farm now um you know we have a couple chickens uh well we've, we've always had a dog we got a couple cats um we have i don't even know how many fish we have you know but they're they're still over at uh in in a holding pond so i, I have to build a new pond before i can bring them over here but yeah we we always have a lot of animals around the house that's for sure oh and our and our tiger salamander so i can't forget i can't forget rasta <laughs> our tiger salamander <laughs> ah, that's awesome that's got to keep it fun so oh, um yeah it. so you guys are, are are busy over at aquascape and it's amazing you know as as somebody who's um kind of seen the company grow um aquascape is now an international company um, how many countries have Aquascape ponds been built in? Do you think? Um, you know, we've we've been uh, we've have them built in uh, Ireland, Germany, England, France, Austria, Turkey, Australia, uh, the Bahamas, um, Mexico, and. There's another small one of the Caribbean islands. Uh, actually, there might be multiple Caribbean. Oh, and Jamaica. Um, so yeah, that's we got, we got quite quite a few. We have we actually have quite a few right now. It's amazing, and and you're one of the founding members oh, of Aquascape, and, and you guys. I, I am. You, and it was literally started out of a garage. Not even to sound funny, it was literally started out of a garage, and now you guys are yeah, international. No. You're absolutely right. We started in a garage that was 20 foot by 20 foot. So, you know, 400 square foot, typical two car garage. Um, you know, when I started there and uh, we were making um, homemade skimmers, um, you know, uh, hacking up garbage cans and any type of tank or trough that we can come up with. Um, bio upflow biological filters was uh, the one that we kind of stuck with. But we 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 tried all different types of biological filtration, different pumping systems. I mean, in the early years, we were doing a little bit of everything because there was not, uh, there, there weren't a lot of products out there. So there wasn't a lot of knowledge available. So, you know, going to libraries and trying to find information on the stuff was difficult. So when I came onto the company, my background's aquatic biology. So I was kind of coming in from a different angle, not necessarily the the water garden angle, but more on the big scale of lakes, rivers, streams, reservoirs, oceans, you know, so I, I studied, you know, water in our environment. So it was really fun for me. Um, it still is to this day, but in the beginning, you know, just to kind of see how, um, you know, these two different uh, uh, entities collided. So the backyard water features meets the real world uh, lakes, rivers, and streams and how all those things have similarities um, and then from there, uh, you know, we saw our business explode, you know, I mean, just literally it exploded. We were 
and the Inc. 500, um, Inc. Magazine for the top 500 fastest growing companies in the country for four years, which is very, very difficult to do uh, for a privately held company. Uh, we're in a quarter of a million plus square foot facility. Uh, we have uh, an office up in up in Canada as well to handle uh, Canadian sales. Um, you know, we yeah, we've seen a lot of uh, incredible growth. Met a ton of great people. I've uh, traveled the traveled the world designing and building water features. Um, and you know, when we were talking about countries just a minute ago. I, I didn't even um, bring into the conversation any of the things that we've done for the Aquascape Foundation. So if we layer in some yeah. of those, you know, we, we've been to uh, Ghana, Africa, Uganda and Africa, um, Colombia and South America, Dominican Republic. Um, so we, we travel around and bring water into these countries, but not necessarily for aesthetics or fun. I mean, this literally is life and death stuff. So we're bringing water into these locations where they're going to use it for drinking water. So yeah, it's uh it's been an amazing journey so far. Yeah. Aquascape Foundation is a, is a pretty ama- you're which you're also a founding member of. It was fa- founded by Carla Whitstock and um yep. it's amazing what you guys are doing. Um it just the impact of having clean water for a community is is, is staggering. You know, I think a lot of us take it so for granted just having clean water on tap on demand. Um, but I mean, it really makes an incredible difference in the communities that you guys are going into with, with benefits of everything from um, better health, lower disease issues to it actually increases the opportunity for education, which is going to, you know, have a domino effect to help the, the local economy. It's really amazing stuff that you guys are doing with the Aquascape Foundation. Yeah, it, it really is. You know what? It's a it's a really neat um, thing to do and to be a part of. Um, you know, the, we like you said, we totally totally take it for granted. Um, so for us to come into these villages and uh, share our passion and understanding for water, and um, you know, totally change a community. Um, you know, it's a thing that not only changes that community, it, it changes us as individuals when we go out and, and design and build these uh, features. So, yeah, it, it is uh, it's amazing. And we're in the process right now of uh, of finding a location for uh, this upcoming season's uh, Aquascape Foundation trip. Um, you know, with uh, we're looking at we're always looking at new locations and there is no shortage of places that that we could choose from. But uh, what we want to try to do is we want to hook up with uh, organiza- other organizations that are existing within those countries that could assist us because we don't have connections, um, you know, around the world. So we have to find the right organization to work with. So it's all about partnerships. And, you know, so far we've been blessed to, to find some great organizations to work with and things have worked out really, really well for us. And the nice thing about it is we're not a um, – a type of uh, organization uh, that goes in and does all this, you know, feel good stuff and then just leaves and doesn't get any information back. But we, uh, one of the requirements that we have is we, uh, we ask for them to give us regular updates. So twice a year, we'll get updates from the countries where we've done uh, from the communities that we've done work in. And they kind of give us a little bit of uh, feedback on how the system's operating if they have any questions, um, you know, how it's changed, uh, you know, their, their community, the, the, the health of the individuals and so on. So it's, it's a really great feedback mechanism for us to make sure that it's working properly. So that's the main goal for us is to make sure when we do an installation, it's going to be there for, for decades. Yeah. 
Hey Ed, um, I'm gonna. Your phone actually is starting to break up. Um, oh, okay. Can you hear me? Okay. I can hear you fine. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a favor. Would you mind calling right back just to see if we can get a better connection? Absolutely. Okay. Give me a call right back. All right, back. thanks. Yeah. Okay, so we're having a little bit of uh, phone breaking up. I'm not sure how it sounds to everybody out there, but I seem to get a little bit of break up here. And Ed should be calling back in just one moment, so we'll have him right back. But yeah, the Aquascape Foundation that Ed has been working with, again, founded by um, Carla Woodstock, they're just doing some real amazing work out there. And uh, the benefits of it are just absolutely tremendous. So if you guys want to check it out, you can go to aquascapefoundation.org. Um, that's their website. They have a website, and they also have um, you can catch them on Facebook as well. So make sure you can catch it at aquascapefoundation.org. Hey, Ed? Yes. Is Hello? that better? Hello? Oh, okay. Yeah, there you are. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Okay. So yeah, so we're we're talking about Aquascape Foundation. It really amazing work that's going on there. It it, it really is, and it's it, it's an amazing journey that that's happened throughout Aquascape in general. Just the way you guys have grown and exploded, and and everything that's that's going on. Um, but you were kind of in a way not maybe not purposely, but even back in your college days, you were essentially being prepared for this. You you studied ecology and limnology back in college. Correct. Yep. Yep. So yeah, my my passion always has been um, you know, our our natural world. Um so ecology has always been uh a, an interesting subject for me. And then, you know, ecology still is a very broad, broad uh, you know, study. Um, you know, it's basically studying different types of ecosystems and things like that. But I wanted to specialize in aquatic ecology or limnology. So it's freshwater systems, uh, which I believe are, uh, you know, some of the most fragile systems, ecosystems we have on our planet. Um, they're also some of the most critical for uh, for our own personal health and the health the health of all our environments. So, um, you know, it's becoming more important as as things move forward. Um, and that's because there's more people, uh, you know, in our world today than there were 10 years ago or 20 or 30, 40 years ago. So our population continues to grow and water is, uh, is a very important resource. And, uh, so we have to be conscious of it. So, uh, yeah, water studies, um, are very critical, um, for, for future generations. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it and understand that type of, uh, uh, that type of, uh, uh the biology end of it all. Yeah. So, I mean, if there, there's probably nothing that makes you happier than seeing a healthy, thriving body of water that's, that fully supports the life forms that, that inhabit it. Oh, oh my gosh. Absolutely. So when, when, um, you know, just for example, um, whenever we do a family vacation, if we're driving somewhere, you know, we can't, uh, it, it seems like it takes us forever to get to our destination. That's because I'm always stopping you know, at all the lakes, rivers, and streams along the way. I mean, we'll be driving down the road, and you see a little creek or a stream or something like that, and, you know, I feel compelled to stop the car and get the kids out and get my wife Ellen out, and, you know, we go hiking up the stream, and, you know, it's just uh, just to check it out, you know, what's there, and, you know, occasionally we'll bring fishing poles and see if we can catch something inside of there, but it tells you a lot about the surrounding area, and it's, you know, I've had some great, uh, wonderful success stories where I've seen some spectacular um, streams and pond systems. And then 
I, I, I've also seen some heavily degraded ones, which, you know, just kills you, you know, where you have pollution and trash and rubbish and, you know, all the stuff that's in the water and you could see the effects of these things on the aquatic ecosystem. So it's kind of sad in a lot of situations, but you have to take the good with the bad. And, you know, I guess it's all about understanding it. And, you know, my goal is to try to instill into my two boys, uh, Austin and Cole, uh, the respect for nature. And uh, hopefully they could grow up and, and teach somebody else or, you know, maybe make a difference on their own. Did you ever think then that your journey would end up on TV? <laughs> I I was I, definitely not. I would have been the last person in the world that would have thought I would have been on TV. Um, and that's, you know, it's one of those things you just never even think about it. It's like, you know, I, I remember growing up, I was a huge Jacques Cousteau fan, you know, so watching the underwater world, um, you know, is just fascinating to me. Uh, going to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago, um, you know, I was always fascinated by this stuff and I, I was a big snorkeler and scuba diver and all these things. So I've always been drawn to it. But the last thing I would have ever thought would have seen myself on a on a TV screen, especially on National Geographic. You know, it's like it's one of those networks that uh, I've always looked up to and I've always been a huge supporter of my entire life. Um, so yeah. for, for me, being a National Geographic is like a baseball player, you know, uh, seeing himself on Sports Illustrated. You know, it's uh, it's just it was an it's an amazing feeling. Yeah, and it was so much fun to see all that come together. It was it was a really exciting thing watching it unfold. After so many years of watching you on videos, you know, I, I started watching you on VHS videos on, uh, right. on my my home television, and and I thought that was great. <laughs> but uh, I'm definitely a, a very big fan of the show and um you know i watched every episode probably multiple times and um even did episodes episode reviews on this show and uh you know wow. some of the other pond builders would call in and it was really great we had a lot of fun reviewing the show and talking about pond stars and um you know i've talked to a couple people who have been involved with television shows and everybody says that the shows are much tougher than it actually appears to be what, was that your experience? Is it is it difficult making these TV shows? Yeah, you know what? Um, making the TV show um, was, I mean, it definitely was a challenge because it's something totally new to us. We, you know, we've done little videos and things like that, but, you know, it's us and, and, and Tony Alcala, you know, from our office, you know. So it's, uh, you know, and he does spectacular work, um, but he's a one-man show. So when we start filming with National Geographic, I mean, there's a team of a dozen people, you know, on the set, not including the construction guys. So, you know, we have multiple, we have the executive producer and then we have um, uh, secondary producers. And then there's producer assistants and there's sound guys um, and there's uh, their show runners and there's all these people doing all these things. And you're like, oh, my gosh, multiple camera crew, you know, three different camera guys, you know, getting all these different angles and specialty shots and all this stuff. So, I mean, it's it's a pretty major, major production. So, you know, here we are, we're showing up just to do our thing and we have to be conscious of, you know, this stuff is being filmed. So, um, you know, for them um, coming in and, you know, asking us questions and stopping things to make sure it's fully understanding and, um, and things like that, it definitely was a disruption, but the goal was to produce a TV show. So they happened to be, you know, following us around, but the main goal was to produce, produce a show around these projects. So, we had to be conscious of it and we had to adapt everything that we did, uh, you know, to make it happen. So 
a project that would normally take, um, you know, a couple of days would take a week. And that's just because of all of that stuff that was layered on top of it. Yeah. Hey, Ed, I know you're on a cell phone. If, if you, I don't know if you're moving around or not, but right now you're, you're coming in nicely. It gets okay. a little choppy here and there, but just so you know. Okay. Um, gotcha. Appreciate it. And um, you guys traveled a lot for the show. I mean, really coast to coast, Florida to, to California. What what were all the locations that you guys ended up going to? We did 12 different projects in um, four different states. So we did six projects in the Chicagoland area. Um, we did two projects in, in Georgia, two projects in Florida, and two projects in California. Yeah. Wow. Was it hard setting up the logistics for those, getting the materials oh, together yeah. and... I bet it must have been a little tricky. <laughs> it, it was, you know, uh, you know. Thankfully, we have a, uh, a team of people uh, within our organization that uh, logistically could set up all that stuff. So, you know, making sure that the the uh, materials were delivered, make sure that the flights and everything were coordinated, and and all of our tools showed up. But the other thing that really saved us was uh was our CACs or our certified aquascape contractors um every state that we went to uh we would not have been able to pull off these projects without an aquascape contractor there because they had they would show up with their trailer of equipment they had the local contacts for us um for the stone yards and for the aquatic plants and for the landscaping and for the patio stuff you know so we relied heavily um you know on them to to pull these things off and and, and turn them into you know what you see today um on the pond stars tv show so into these beautiful works of art and uh you know so yeah. my hats go off to all those guys and girls out there that that helped make it actually happen for us yeah everybody did a really really great job it was a lot of fun to watch do you have do you have a favorite project from those shows yeah you know what that's a tough 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 question for me um because I have favorite parts of, of all of them. You know, I think um, I, I really love the, uh, the finale over at the zoo. Uh, the Lincoln Park Zoo is just a, uh, a favorite place of mine. Uh, we've done a bunch of work there over the years. Um, but to do a project, you know, that, uh, that ties in the animal element and seeing these, you know, working with these wolves that are being reintroduced into, uh, into their native land in the southeast is just, it's just awesome. Um, and they get, I don't even know how many hundreds of thousands of people that go through the zoo or maybe even millions. I don't even know, uh, in downtown Chicago. So, um, you know, the connection that, uh, that we're, we're tying these two elements together. So it's open to the public. People can see these water features, um, and how they actually mimic the natural features where these animals are found. Um, so it was a really kind of a, a unique show. And then uh, my other favorite one was probably California, where we did a healing garden for a, uh, uh, for a recovering cancer patient and then also a trout pound up in the mountains. So, uh, you know, the diversity of those two projects was awesome, um, not only in the actual types of projects, but in the areas of California. So here we were in Southern California. One of them was just outside of Hollywood. So, you know, I mean, it was very urban environment, just kind of in the foothills. Um, so it yep. was everything you thought it would be with, you know, with, with California. The other one uh, was kind of, was up in the mountains. Um, so we were about an hour and a half or so, two hours outside of Los Angeles. Um, and we were at an elevation of 6,000 feet. And you know, we felt like we were 1,000 miles away from Los Angeles. I mean, completely different world. Um, but wow. yet that close to Los Angeles and, and, um, what was neat about it was 
we were able to kind of go off into the natural areas and explore some of the native trout streams in the area, which were just specular. So we gathered ideas. Um, we, we gathered ideas that we could use to actually create the trout stream. So we wanted to mimic these natural trout streams of that area. And when we pulled it off, man, it was, it really was a home run. It was just a blast. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the trout stream was really cool. Uh, I don't know if I have a favorite exactly cause I really enjoyed uh, all of them. Uh, I thought that one of the funniest scenes was when Greg got thrown into a swimming pool <laughs> by a couple of football yeah, players. Right. <laughs> that, that was, was uh, but, that's um, actually what, and that, that project was awesome too. I, that's why I have a really hard time um, choosing, you know, the, the projects in Florida and that tropical look is just so completely different than anything we have in the Chicagoland area. So that's really neat stuff. Yeah. What's happening with the future of Pond Stars? I know you guys actually start shooting again soon. Um, we do. What can we expect for the future of Pond Stars? Well, right now um, we are uh, in negotiations, or we're, 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 I shouldn't say negotiations, we're, we're um, looking for alternative networks. So uh, National Geographic, uh, unfortunately, did not renew us for a second season. Um, and that's not necessarily because they didn't like the show. They actually loved the show. I mean, speaking with the executives, I mean, they loved the show, but they actually made a complete programming change. Um, they had other shows kind of similar to ours, which are called a process show, which means you actually follow kind of a construction process or an installation of some sort. So they had several other, other shows on the network similar to ours, and they basically said, you know, that's not our core audience. Um, so they eliminated all of these process shows and uh, they are sticking with, you know, the shark week and, you know, uh, the big cats and, you know, safaris uh, and very strict animal stuff. They have Dr. Pole, the, uh, the, the vet. So they are focusing a hundred percent on animals, which, uh, you know, I can totally respect and, you know, and understand that uh, viewpoint. So uh, our, uh, our manager right now is uh, searching with other networks um, we're continuing to film just because we have to continue the Pond Stars name. Um, we, we just filmed a, uh, an episode at the Aquatic Experience Show uh, right here in Chicago. Um, the Aquatic yep. Experience Show, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but it's, a, it's, kind of, it's, a, it's more of an aquarium-based show. Um, so it has okay. just these unbelievable um, you know, fish tanks and manufacturers and consumers, retailers, you know, anybody and everybody that's into um, aquariums of any comes to this show. I mean, they have just an unbelievable lineup of speakers and exhibits and things. So we set up a, a, a beautiful uh, water feature right smack in the middle of the uh, of the trade show floor, so we could show people what the ultimate aquarium is like. Because the ultimate aquarium is basically a backyard pond. You know, it's I mean, it's a yeah. complete multi. You know, it's multi-dimensional. I mean, it's thousands of gallons of water. We got waterfalls, you got aquatic plants, you got fish, and then you have all the other critters that happen to come into the yard. So, you know, it yeah. uh, it takes on a whole new meaning when you put a pond in. So we got some great feedback. We hooked up with some, you know, fanatics, uh, some fans of ours. So, you know, we, we were billed there um, as being there for the show. So we did some autograph signing. Um, I did a presentation at the, uh, during the, uh, during the event. So we had a blast out there, not only building and, and hanging out with some fans, but meeting other manufacturers and so on. So that's going to be a, a, an upcoming episode. Um, we are in the process of, uh, of, of lining up future projects out of state. 
um, you know, that are going to be filmed as well. So we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to be showing um, uh, these videos um, and uh, the Pond Stars shows will be airing on, on Internet TV. Um, and I guess right now, basically, as soon as, uh, as soon as January, February hits, I guess everything will go live. So we're in the process of filming all that stuff and getting it all ready. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, so the, the, uh, season that was already shot that can be seen on Hulu and on YouTube. And then, uh, the new stuff coming up, there'll be, uh, more outlets to be able to catch the pond stars. Yeah, it was really cool. You, Brian, Greg, and Chris, you guys were were great, and uh, I really enjoyed the show a lot. There was a lot of grub eating happening on Pond Stars, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seemed to be kind of a uh, one of our recurring themes, I guess. Yeah, it was kind of it's kind of interesting, and and that yeah. all started. My my gosh, you know that started back in 1996 or 97. I don't even recall exactly what year it would have been, and that was a. Uh, you know, Greg uh, dared me to eat a grub on uh, while well, we were filming one of our videos. And um, so it uh, kind of gained a little bit of popularity at that point and never, and that wasn't the first time I've done it. You know, I had two older brothers and they used to dare me to eat all types of crazy stuff from, you know, from worms and <laughs> caterpillars and all these different things. So I wasn't really freaked out by it. Um, but it kind of has turned into a little bit of a cult following. And now we got, uh, uh, so whenever we'd find a, a, a grub on a job, we're always betting, you know, the new guys on the job. You know, if you really want to be a pond builder, you gotta you gotta eat a beetle grub. And uh, some yeah. of the guys will take the challenge, and other others will turn turn away real real quick. <laughs> so you're a founding member of the grub eaters as well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we call it the grub club. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of fun to watch that stuff. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun, and yeah, the one that Chris ate in Georgia, wow! I mean, that thing was a that was a that was a big grub. It was a, it was a monster, and uh, yeah, I I thought he was gonna I thought it was gonna come back up on him, uh, but he held it down, <laughs> and that was uh, that was one definitely to remember. <laughs> it's very funny, very funny stuff to watch. Um, yeah, so that's cool. But I can't wait to see some more Pond Stars coming out. That's going to be a lot of fun once the once you guys hit the air again. Um, so let's talk about gravel a little bit. But um, okay, you know, I was saying to people, I was saying earlier, people are very passionate about it. So before we start, uh, I will just clarify a few things in case anybody feels it's a skewed conversation or anything like that there's any ulterior motives. Now, people know you work for Aquascape, and I've been all over the Aquascape website. I have the catalogs in my office. I've seen them a thousand times, and Aquascape does not sell gravel, so there's no motivation <laughs> in that sense <laughs> to talk about that is gravel. That's correct. Um, and you are not a producer or manufacturer of gravel. Um, nope. Do you have any interest in stone yards or quarries, Ed? <laughs> I wish I did, but no, I don't. I can't say that I do. Yeah, so you don't personally stand to benefit in any way from being a proponent no. of using gravel. Um, do you now, or have you ever worked for Mr. Slate? <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> okay, and no dealings with Barney Rubble or any any of those characters. <laughs> no, just just a fan growing up. That's about it. Yeah. So it's and and I'm sure, you know, if 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 you were out in the field and you saw that the use of um gravel in ponds caused issues, made ponds dirty or killed fish or 
stuff like that. I'm sure you'd bring it to people's attention. This would not be something that was kept a secret for any reason. So, oh, no, oh my um, gosh. You know, I mean, our, our goal is, you know, is the exact opposite. You know, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an, an environmentalist at heart, you know, so I, I take everything very, very seriously um, when, we're, when we're designing and building water features that are, um, in my opinion, are meant to replicate natural ecosystems. Um, so if I were to see anything that was going to harm any type of um, aquatic or terrestrial life, I surely, you know, would change very, very quickly. It's the last thing that I want to do. Yes, um, I, and I, I know you would. Um, so overall, like, why do people use gravel? What What are the some of the benefits of using gravel in pond systems? I personally feel that there are, are many of them, but let's start with um, aesthetics. What Mm-hmm. Why would somebody use gravel to increase the aesthetic value of a pond? Well, you know, when when you use gravel, so we're all using um, some sort of a um, water-holding device um, when we create a man-made pond. So it's either going to be, you know, the, the material that we use is, is typically EPDM rubber. Um, it could be a polypropylene material, um, which is basically like a big uh, um, plastic sheeting. Um, you know, for larger applications, but you can use, uh, you know, there are builders that are going to use concrete and there are guys that are going to use butyl rubber and PVC. So we have to hold the water in some way. Otherwise, it's going to seep into the subsoils. So there's a water holding device of some sort in place. So by covering that surface um, with gravel, it's going to look aesthetically much more appealing. So we're doing it not just, um, we don't just use uh, uh, gravel. We're going to use a mixture of different sizes of rocks and boulders uh, to create an aesthetically appealing overall water feature. So larger rocks and boulders around the outside perimeters, and then it will transition into the flat areas along the bottom are going to be the uh, the river rocks and the gravels, which are basically, you know, it's mimicking nature. You know, it's, it's, it, we want it to look like you're looking into a uh, into a mountain stream. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's good looking stuff It and you can, it helps you cover liner EPDM or whatever it is. So, you, you know, to yep. me, exposed liner is not that nice to look at. Helps to fill in gaps too, you know, if you're using rock work and stuff, it adds nice texture and color to the design as well. When you look at it, when you're kind of looking at it from an artistic point of view, um, that is important texture and, and um, how colors kind of play into it. And, um, you know, once in a while you have the bulky folds that occur in a lot of liner ponds. It, it can certainly help to hide those minor flaws as well, which is going to give, you know, a, a better looking pond. Um, Absolutely. Now, you've built many, many ponds. When it comes to you want your ponds to have structural integrity as well. Can Can gravel help in that respect? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. You know what, what it's going to do is um, uh, it acts as a ballast, number one. So what I mean by that is it's going to help weight the uh, the lining material down. So in different parts of the country or certain seasonal uh, um, seasonal variations, you could have uh, groundwater. So you're going to have water that comes up from uh, from the soil 
Um, and if you don't have a ballast inside of the, uh, the pond, the liner could actually bubble up. So I've seen uh, many ponds here in the Chicagoland area and in other parts of the country that have actually bubbled up out of the ground. And that's because they didn't have any stone on top of them to help anchor yeah. it down into the, uh, into the ground. So it, does, it, it adds that type of a structural element. The other thing it does is it's going to, um, uh, when we're doing our other stonework along the vertical edges, by doing that, uh, what we do is we'll take some of the other um, smaller pieces of gravel and we fill between the larger boulders and the lining with the smaller gravel. And what that does is it kind of locks everything in place. So it acts almost like a, uh, like a, uh, almost like a mortar, but it's a, but it's a dry stack stone, but it really locks everything in place. And I could talk about this from experience because I've ripped out a lot of ponds that we've built over the years. And if you go back, um, you know, and, and tear a pond out that you built, built five years ago, you literally have to pry the boulders apart. I mean, you have to get a shovel in between there or a pry bar and pluck these rocks out because that rock uh, and the gravel locks everything into place. So from a structural standpoint, that's going to hold the form or the excavation in place much longer than if you didn't have that stonework in there. So um, I've repaired a lot of liner pounds over the years and some of these vertical walls, um, if you don't have any rock holding them in place, they start to kind of slump and fall and kind of get rounded over and they start to collapse in on themselves. And that's because there's no structure, you know, holding them in place. So by having that stonework, right. I think it, it builds a, a very solid feature that's going to last for many, many, many years. Yeah, I mean these are long-term installations. They're they're not meant, you know, it's not a home show. It's it's you're putting them in, and um, they're meant to be there for the long run. So yeah, those are that's some really good points, and and it can um, help prevent damage as well that an exposed liner might otherwise be victim to, like fallen branches. Maybe an animal gets in the pond, um, even human impact. So sure. in that respect. It, that's going to maintain the integrity of the, the, the structure as well. Absolutely. So, you know, it's um, um, just as you said, so I have a few ponds, I have uh, quite a few um, that we've done over the years that were designed for livestock purposes. So, and what I mean, but, you know, so they could be in uh, zoological exhibits. Um, you know, one of them that pops into my head right now is a taper exhibit down in Florida. It's, I don't know if you're familiar with tapers or if the viewers are, but uh, I know you are, Mike. But, you know, a taper, it's a it's a 500-pound uh, hoofed animal, um, you know, that feeds on aquatic vegetation. Um, and yeah. we did a, a beautiful wetland filter that, that's cleansing the water that these animals swim in on a daily basis. But they love the stream that we created, and they kind of run back and forth in the stream. And we covered it up. We covered the stream with a thick layer of this gravel, and what it does is it kind of it lessens that impact of their hooves, and it spreads the uh, the, the pressure out onto a larger area. Um, so, as you said, you know, for people walking around, for dogs, for animals, you know, it it's it's very very important uh, to protect the liner from different types of impacts. Um, the other thing it protects from is UV radiation. You know, so liners do uh, you know even the best liners out there they have a lifespan. Um, but the only thing that really degrades them is UV uh, degradation, so UV sunlight. Um, so what we do by covering them up with that rock and gravel, uh, that's protecting those liners from UV radiation. Um, so those liners could last actually two to three times longer than their expected time frame. So the liners are guaranteed wow. for 20 years. 
Um, I have ponds that have been in the ground for more than 20 years, and I've gone back and pulled those, and I've we've renovated them, not because there was any problems, just because the homeowner wanted, you know, a bigger water feature. So we pulled all the rocks out, and the liner underneath was supple. There was no sign of cracking, any degradation whatsoever, and that was after a 20-year period. So, I mean, these things, if cared for properly, will last you a lifetime. Yeah, it's that's awesome. I mean, that in and of itself is a great reason to use gravel. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're, you're protecting yeah. and extending your investment. Um, Absolutely. But there's also um, safety factors that I think people can consider, too. You know, we, we've all been inside ponds. Uh, well, most of us have been inside ponds, you know, doing cleanouts and stuff like that. And an exposed liner, um, trying to walk on those, it, it's like wet ice. It, it it can actually, I think, get pretty dangerous. So how how does gravel add a safety factor to the interior of a pond? Sure, that that's a great uh, great point because I have definitely taken a few spills in liner ponds, and it, like you said, it's like it's like ice. I mean, it's a slippery, slick biofilm that uh, that gets on there, and it's like a grease. And you step on that thing, on a on a on a liner like that, and you you can't uh, you you can't stand. You know, I mean, you're you're going for a ride real real quick. Yeah. So by uh, <laughs> so by by covering it up with that with that stonework, um, you know that uh, you don't get that. I mean, it basically it breaks down that uh, that slick surface, uh, so you could walk in and out of the ponds uh, with ease. And you know, my boys, you know, I'm, I'll talk about my personal pond. Um, you know, we use it for recreation. We use it for swimming. It's only about three feet deep, but, uh, you know, we'll have a half a dozen kids on a, you know, on a sunny summer day, uh, swimming in our ponds. Um, and you know, they're going to, they're going to walk in and out, you know, with ease. And that's because you're walking on this, uh, this rocky surface. So it's just like walking in a, uh, in a lake or a riverbed or something like that, that happens to have rocks and gravel, uh, you know, as a substrate. Yeah, which is which is a very normal and common substrate in natural waterways like lakes and rivers and stuff like that. Um yep. and I think a lot of people let let's say somebody, you know, God forbid fell into a pond. They they may go into something of a panic mode and um even if it's not a very deep pond to be slipping and sliding on on an exposed liner is only going to get them probably into deeper trouble. So, you know, gravel in that sense, when somebody just has a nice footing that they can grab onto, um, it, it really does add a tremendous element of safety to the interior of ponds. Um, and I, I like what you brought up because what, what makes exposed liner so slick um, is what you're saying, biofilm. So biofilm is, is an incredibly important um, aspect of pond keeping. Uh, it's the unseen mechanism that really keeps a pond in good shape. So when it comes to filtration purposes, um, as a pond builder, one of the most important things to me is leaving my customers with, with a great finished product, but I think even more importantly is leaving them with a product that's going to look good but function even better for a long time. And that, to me, gravel gives me a great sense of um, comfort and confidence knowing that it's going to provide filtration for um, my customers for their ponds. What what are yep. some of the ways? And when we talk about filtration, that that's that's a broad subject right there. But what are some of the ways that gravel aids in filtration uh, in pond systems? 
So the number one thing you want to think about when, you, when uh, we talk about filtration, it's biological filtration. So there are two main types or general types. Um, so we have mechanical uh, filtration, which is removal of, uh, of large organic debris and things like that. So leaves, twigs, grass clippings and stuff like that, that could actually decay and follow the water. So skimmers and things like that are going to help remove uh, that organic uh, material. Um, the other type of filtration that we're talking about is biological. And what I mean by that is the fish waste and any of those other organic components that don't get picked up by the skimmer um, are going to fall into the bottom of the pond. They're going to go through the process of degradation. They're going to start to decay. Um, so you're going to have fungi and things like that to, to originally start to colonize those things. And they're going to start to break down and they release um, any type of organic compound um, uh, or fish waste is going to release ammonia into the water. Now, ammonia um, can be toxic and fatal to, uh, to fish and other aquatic organisms. So what we want to do is we want to try to eliminate that ammonia. Um, the, way, the best, most efficiently way to do it is through biological filtration, and that's by having specific types of microbes, beneficial bacteria and enzymes, that will break down the ammonia. They take it from ammonia first. They turn it into nitrite which is still toxic, and then they break it down further uh, through the oxidation process into nitrate. Um, nitrate um, still can be toxic, um, but that will turn into nitrogen gas. That also becomes food for your aquatic plantings. That could also be off-gassed with your waterfalls. So by having these ecosystems set up, we could take these potentially harmful compounds and we could break them down into basically harmless compounds um, to create a, an environment that's healthy for, uh, for fish um, and other different types of aquatic organisms. The way we're doing that is by creating surface area. So surface area is the number one goal when we're talking about filtration. So surface area is basically any surface um, that's in contact with the water that will allow these bacteria and enzymes to attach to. So these are, these are colonizing organisms. So they're going to try to um, completely cover um, any subsurface structure that's inside of the pond. So if you have a bare liner pond, you will get that biofilm on there. So those are gonna be those beneficial bacteria and things, but it's basically one dimensional because it's just a flat surface that they're colonizing. When you put in many, yeah. many tons, many, many tons of rocks and gravel and everything, it, uh, each piece of gravel has, uh, has a surface area. It's a sphere. So the surface area goes up exponentially. So it's tenfold or more, um, depending upon the size of the feature, than just a bare liner pond. So that means you have this huge quantity of surface area that is going to become a living filter for the entire pond. And that will continue to break down all of the nitrogenous waste, the ammonias, the organic compounds, it will consume all of that stuff naturally. So you don't have to worry about physically removing it. You don't have to worry about having a bottom drain suck it off. And that's because it's, we're, we're creating a food source um, out, of those, uh, out of those compounds. So instead of being a detriment to the system, they're actually an asset. So I think, you know, fish waste and all that stuff is an important part of the ecosystem because it's a food source for other organisms. So our goal you know, when we're designing and building is thinking of the bigger picture. So I'm not just thinking fish. Um, I'm thinking multidimensional. I'm thinking all different types of microorganisms. So this whole, this huge food web of activity is going to occur. And that's because we've designed it to do that. So anytime, and this, this goes across the board with any type of an ecosystem, 
if you have a monoculture, which means you basically have one species of something. So think of a cornfield. So cornfields, you know, for farmers can be very productive, but they're uh, highly managed. You have to do lots of fertilizers. You have to do lots of herbicides and pesticides. And that's because if anything happens, um, if you get a pest or a disease in there, it could completely decimate the entire system. And that's because there's not a diversity of other plants and animals there. So stable environments, uh, the most stable environments on the planet are ones that, are, that have a high diversity. And what I mean by diversity is not just numbers of animals. I'm talking about numbers of different types of animals. So what we want to set up is, uh, is this microhabitat that has the beneficial microbes and it has the, um, the enzymes and the things that basically start the food web out. We're going um, to have some algaes growing in there. I don't want to see it get out of control, but I, I don't mind a little green fuzz on rocks in certain areas and things like that because it's part of that food, food web. We're going to have aquatic insects. Um, you're going to have um, all different types of aquatic insects going all, everything from microscopic all the way up into the larger uh, um, diving beetles. Um, you're going to have uh, your dragonfly naiads and damselfly naiads uh, that are going to live in there. These are important predators. These are also food sources for your fish, for the koi, and for the other organisms inside of the pond. So our goal is to, to recreate a natural system. And to do that, you have to have, you have to think of the, the system that you're trying to recreate. Yeah. So essentially, gravel creates habitat and en enhances yep. the habitat within your pond. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. So when you have this enhanced habitat, this diversity of species, if you could look at fish, let's take koi goldfish as an example. If you could look at them and apply the emotion of happiness to them, would do you feel, given your background, your experience, that fish, a koi, a goldfish, would be happier, so to speak, in a pond that has a diverse habitat? Or would they be happier in, say, a uh, concrete structure that has just them? It's a monoculture. Oh, my gosh. I mean, a diverse habitat is a no-brainer. I mean, uh, think of yourself. So for any of the listeners out there, where would you be happier, sitting in your home, um, you know, where you're comfortable and you know where, you know where everything's at, um, you know, you, you have your bed, your kitchen, TV area. I mean, this is your home. This is your, the place that you live. So this is where you've grown up. Um, or would you rather be misplaced in another country in a basically a concrete box? I mean, you're going to get stressed, um, you know, if you're outside of your element. And that's what causes diseases. So, um, you know, the, the fish health, I mean, I've seen it time and again um, that the fish in these systems that are set up with this diversity that mimics their natural habitat, the fish are going to do much better because they're going to feed off of the food sources they normally would in nature. So, so koi um, are uh, are native. It's a riverine fish. It's uh, it's from the uh, the genus of Cyprinidae. Um, if you were to look at this animal, so I mean, just take a look at the animal. And for those of you that are, have keep koi or are familiar with them you'll notice they have those little sensory barbels uh, around the bottom of their mouth. And also look at the orientation of the mouth. The mouth is, uh, is ventrally located, which means it's, it's pointing downward. And that's because this is a bottom feeder. So koi are designed, have evolved over who knows how many years. I don't even want to discuss that. But who, who knows how many years to, to feed off of 
microorganisms, um, uh, worms and, uh, and, and insects and larvae and things like that, as well as the bacteria and all the other microorganisms that live on the bottom of streams and river systems. These are riverine fish. So this is where they're yeah. going to be most happy. So we want to rep their home. Um, so a healthy riverine system is going to have a uh, is going to have gravel rocky beds. It's going to have aquatic plants along the shoreline. It's going to have a good high oxygen content going through it, um, dissolved oxygen content. So we have a good flow going across it. So any debris is going to get swept away into a skimmer system. These are the systems that we're replicating, and the results speak for themselves. I mean, we, we've had incredible results, and uh, I have designed and built 1,500 plus you know, water features around the world. Um, and every one of them is going to have a rock and gravel substrate. And, and I've been doing it since 1993. So, uh, so yeah, we've, we've had a lot of success, uh, you know, doing it with yeah. this method. And I think ultimately everybody wants happy fish. I mean, they really do. No matter what yep. their approach is, and I don't want to come down on any particular method of, of pond building or pond keeping, I think ultimately everybody wants their fish to be happy, you want to look in your pond and see your fish active and swimming. And if there's, um, you know, a fish that I could say could actually seem happy, it would be koi. <laughs> I mean, they're just such <laughs> cheerful fish. You know, they come up, they greet you when you walk up to the pond. They're awesome. Um, Absolutely. Oh, you know, I actually have a, a, a story <clears throat> that just popped up in my head here. Um, so talking about, you know, happy fish. And um, so I remember, and this was, gosh, 10 years or so ago, maybe more, I was doing a seminar um, in San Antonio, Texas. I was actually out there building a pond. So it was a pond building seminar. Um, and we stayed at an embassy suites. And I don't exactly know which one it was in San Antonio, but it was in San Antonio, Texas. <clears throat> and um, if you've ever been to an embassy suite, you know, they have those big atriums right when you walk in and they have water features and stuff like that. And occasionally yeah. they'll have uh, they'll have fish, you know, they'll have uh, ponds in the, uh, or fish in those ponds. So they happened to have this beautiful koi pond right when you walked in. It was only 18 inches or so deep. It was concrete bottom. It was just beautiful, nice waterfalls and everything. And we're walking. It was massive. You know, it was probably 30 foot by 100 foot. It, I mean, it just serpentined wow. its way through this entire atrium. Just spectacular. So, we, you know, I was there with Brian and Chris, uh, Chris Wilson. And, uh, you know, we were kind of checking stuff out. And we're like, oh, you know, this is, you know, beautiful, beautiful koi pond and everything. Let's go check into our room. We'll go grab dinner. So, so we went up uh, to our room we, uh, to check in, and our room overlooked the atrium. And this was a huge embassy suite, so whatever it was. I don't know how many stories, but I'm going to say we were probably at like the 10th floor or something like that. So I remember looking over the railing down at the koi pond. And I'm like, gosh, you know, look at that beautiful view of the koi pond. And there were three distinct areas of uh, it, the, the entire pond was basically uh, concrete. It was painted black. And then there were three pockets, maybe eight to 10 foot in diameter on this massive pond that had uh, mm -hmm. groupings of gravel. So it was just like a little gravelly bed, but it was only in th three different areas. And as I looked over, <clears throat> I could see those three distinct areas of gravel and the koi were all swimming directly over those three areas. They were found nowhere else in the pond. They were found directly over those gravel beds. And that's because koi <laughs> are grazers. You know, they were feeding on the stuff that lives in between the rock and gravel the way they have done for thousands and thousands of years. So, I mean, I wish I had a camera 
you know, I kick myself still to this day that I didn't get a picture of it. And I, I, I should actually try to find this hotel because it was, it was perfect. I mean, I have never seen anything else like that. Yeah. That's very interesting. That goes to, to, to our point. Um, yeah. So you, you definitely want your fish to, to be happy. I, I, when I'm talking, sometimes uh, when I go to sell upon and I'm talking to customers and, and um, they have questions uh, some of them do have questions on, you know, should we use gravel, shouldn't we? Because they, they've researched, they get conflicting reports from the Internet. And I always tell them that, you know, as a standard, I use gravel in, in all the ponds that I build. And one of the comparisons, one of the, the illustrations I try to draw for them as far as why I feel, I feel like the gravel makes the pond itself into it, just a powerhouse filter. So, I mean, you have your filter system, of course. <laughs> But the pond itself can become a massive biological mechanical filter that is powerful. And I always tell people, you know, when a leaf falls onto a concrete surface, <clears throat> eventually it's going to break down. It's going to biodegrade. When it falls onto a forest floor, it biodegrades much quicker because of all the biological activity that's going on there. It's much more efficient. And I try to explain that it's the same thing in a pond. If you have a, a leaf fall down or whatever material it is fall and sit on an exposed liner, given time, it's going to break down. But let that same leaf fall onto a biologically active bed of gravel, and it's going to break down quicker. In essence, the pond becomes much more efficient at breaking down um, materials and, and nutrients within a pond. You think that's a pretty, pretty fair picture to to present to um, people that I'm speaking with? Oh, I think it's perfect. I, mean, I, I think that's a perfect, perfect analogy <clears throat> because that's that's exactly what's happening. You know, you have this living bed of stuff that's just, I mean, it's waiting for food. Um, so as soon as something falls there, it's going to react and in enough numbers where it can break that stuff down. So, uh, like I said in the in the in, you know ten minutes or so ago, the the surface area is tenfold of what it is in a uh, in a smooth uh, smooth liner cyst. So, uh, you know, yeah. it is uh, it's very 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 efficient. And um, I actually did um, a little bit of research. Um, this was stuff that I I, uh, I I just kind of looked up, and it was in one, one of my limnology uh, uh, books, and it was talking about. Um, um, the most biologically diverse substrates. Um, this was not uh, talking about aesthetic ponds. This was talking about natural, real-world <clears throat> aquatic ecosystems. Um, so they compared several different substrates, <clears throat> and they compared them to biological diversity. So the number and the, the number of different types of organisms that were found in those substrates. So they looked at a mud flat. They looked at sand. Mm -hmm. They looked at gravel. And they looked at planted. So they had several different uh, uh, substrates that they looked with. And they found that the rock, rock and gravel substrate had the highest diversity. Um, so that means wow. it's the most stable. And the reason it had the highest diversity was it kind of had a little mixture of all the other ones mixed within it. So you can have a rock and gravel substrate, um, but it will have aquatic plantings strategically placed inside because we're putting that material in there. It will have some mud flats. It will have mud and sediments in between the gravel in certain areas. And you will also get sands, you know, just like you, you described the, uh, the different sizes of substrates that are there, you know, the sand and the grits and all those different things. 
you know, that's actually a natural part of it. And it's an important part because each one of those is an important piece to the biological system. So they found in this study that the uh, rock and gravel had the highest overall diversity. And when I'm reading it, when I see high diversity, that's what, that's where I want to plant my flag because that's the most stable. Um, and you had talked about, you know, kind of a super, super powered filter. Um, it is the nice thing about it is um, if you have a pond system and uh, say by chance you have uh, your pump goes out, the power goes out, whatever, during a storm, um, you could, if you didn't have a rock and gravel substrate, you will see a spike in ammonia. You'll see a drop in your dissolved oxygen. You'll see an ammonia spike. You will see a chemical shift inside of that pond because all of a sudden fish waste and respiration is starting to build up inside of the pond and it can't get broken down quick enough. In a rock and gravel pond, that will not happen. That's because you have this huge living bed of stuff that continues to work for you despite your filter not actually function, uh, without actually yeah. functioning. So I've gone out after many, many days, um, you know, after a power outage or a pump goes out to go replace one of these pumps, and the fish have not been stressed. Um, there is no signs of any stress within the system put the new pump in and everything is back up and running. So it's almost a, it's a huge safety net, you know, when you're talking about uh, designing for a client, um, you know, yeah. to have all these things functioning and working for you. I mean, in my book, it's just like, Oh my gosh, it's, it, it's so much easier to maintain overall. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I'm not sure in your area what it's like, but we get power outages here and there in my area. And um, of course, you know, you, I worry about my pond, but I worry about my customers' ponds too because I don't want to mm -hmm. get get those phone calls the next day. You know, running around on emergencies. We've had power outages up to nine days. We had, uh, I'm oh. sure you remember Hurricane Sandy out in this area sure. a couple of years ago. I mean, nine yep. days, and and other times where it's been a week or whatever. And I I can tell you that. I have not had any issues. I should knock wood while I'm saying this, but I have not had any <laughs> issues with people losing fish due to power wow. outages during those periods. Pretty amazing. Well, I mean, really, it's that is pretty, amazing. pretty amazing. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to uh, I'm gonna have to write that down and, and use that, you know, in some of my presentations and talks because I'm, I'm talking usually from my experience, which we, we might have a power outage or a pump out. And it might just be a couple days, you know, not a week yeah. or nine days. I, we've, I've never seen that. So to, to yeah. hear from you firsthand that you've actually witnessed that and haven't had any issues, that just solidifies that uh, the, that that fact for me. Yeah, and I would say, you know, you're very familiar with um, a lot of pond builders in the Jersey area. Um, everybody went through that. So I'm I'm sure I, I could get some backup on that as well. You know, it's funny. Power outages are really fun the first day or so. You light candles, you play cards, you have a lot of fun. But <laughs> two days later, it just sucks because you're just worried oh, about everything. Um, sure. Of course, especially uh, your fish and everybody's fish. Um, yep. A lot of my customers really enjoy um, and want their fish to successfully spawn. And what I have seen it, is that spawning is not really too much of an issue. I see spawning happening all the time. But as far as actually being able to um, have babies um, in your mm -hmm. pond, a lot, a lot of times fish will spawn, but you're not getting any babies. Um, will gravel help those people who are, who are hoping to have babies grow up in their pond? Does that help in any way? Oh, undoubtedly. 
you know, so um, when your fish are going to spawn, they are going into the shallows. <clears throat> so, I mean, I've witnessed it at my own pond, but also at other ponds that, uh, that I've designed and built. They're going to go up into the shallow areas, um, uh, you know, that anywhere from, you know, six inches to down to nothing. And they're going to, uh, to lay their eggs um, in those shallow areas. Now, the fish, um, the good thing about it is they lay 100,000 plus eggs at a time. Uh, the the bad part is, you know, they're going to be eaten. So the majority are, are going to be eaten by the other fish. They're going to follow up and, and consume all those other eggs. But because yep. of that rock and gravel, those eggs are actually going to get down into some of the nooks and crannies and crevices that are between the rock and gravel pieces. So the interstitial spaces between those rock and gravel uh, uh, pieces themselves. So those are hiding areas. Uh, for those eggs to actually mature, and then once they actually uh, once they actually hatch, and you have your your fry, um, those fish. If you ever noticed them, and again, I'll talk about an experience in my pond because I have a huge spawn sometimes twice a year. And you look down in the gravel itself, and you're going to see these little fish darting in and out. You know, to them, yeah. you know, a two inch piece of gravel is like a it's a house size boulder to us. I mean, it's massive. <laughs> so these little yeah. pockets and things behind them. These are hiding areas where they can get away from predators. They're not only hiding areas, but they're food sources. So this rock and gravel substrate, as I said a little bit ago, is going to be home to uh, bacterias and microorganisms. That's the normal food for, for fish fry. Um, you can't give them regular pelletized fish food. It's, it's too big. They can't consume it. That's not even normal for them. So you want to feed them the 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 bacterias and the copepods and the rotifers and the things that they normally would feed on in nature. And what better way to do it than to have that diverse habitat that is home to all these microorganisms. So um, I have right now in my pond, I'm going to guess 150, you know, uh, fish that spawned this past summer and they're all probably now four inches. Um, and that's because uh, they're feeding on all of the stuff, you know, that, uh, that we've provided for them, you know, inside of the pond. So it's, it's just awesome. And, you know, and I give away fish every year and I always have a new crop of baby fish and, you know, and that's part of the hobby. And that's the, you know, I only keep a couple, you know, I can't keep 150 new fish in my pond. It's like, Oh my gosh, yeah. I'll be overrun in no time at all. So I give them all away. Yeah. I bring them to the office, give them to new pond owners. <coughs> um, but, you know, I'll pick up my favorites. I'll have the, you know, my yeah. uh, Ellen, my wife and the boys will pick out some of their favorite fish. And that's all, that's just all part of the hobby. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fair to say that gravel can actually um, aid in successful spawning and, and reproduction in, in fish. Um, that's cool. So I think we, we've covered a lot of really good reasons as to why people would use gravel. Um now I I wanted to go back cuz I didn't even confirm it with you but you know I I kind of defined gravel earlier as a rumble uh, a rounded tumbled pebble aggregate. I usually am mm -hmm. using 3 quarter inch to 1 inch gravel for the purposes that we're we're talking about tonight. Do you agree that that would be a good size grain to utilize? Yeah, no, I think I think that's perfect. You know, so when you're looking at uh gravel, um you know, if the goal is is to have that surface area. So the smaller pieces of, of gravel, if you have a lot of small pieces, you actually are going to have a higher surface area than uh, a few big pieces. So I definitely think that size range is good. Um, you don't want to go too small, 
and that's because uh, it kind of gets uh, too compacted. Um, so anything less than a quarter inch, I will, I'll still use it, but I use it sparingly and only in specific areas, not throughout the entire bottom. Um, but I would say our average, at least here in the Chicago area, uh, it varies between, uh, it's about three quarters of an inch up to about maybe an inch and a quarter, inch and a half. Uh, and that's just because okay. that's the way our quarry has it. So yeah, you're, you're right there. And I, I think that diversity is, it, it creates a nice look and it's going to give you a lot of bang for your buck. And then, so if you're going too small with your gravel, or if you're going with too large of a grain of gravel, you're going to see diminished benefits. Not to say it's it's Correct. not beneficial, but you're going to see diminished benefits. Let's talk about, okay, so, so somebody has said, hey, you know, these are great reasons to use gravel, and they've made the decision to um, put gravel into their pond. So when it comes to installing gravel, is there any special preparation that people need to do with the gravel before installing it into their pond? Yeah, you know what? Um, if, if it's a new pond construction or, you know, obviously you want to do it when the pond is not full of water. Um, so you want to do it during the construction process or if you're adding it in as a, as a, uh, a retro type thing, you know, drain the water out to do it. Um, we'll lay the, uh, the gravel down. You don't need it really thick. Um, basically, the only thing that we're trying to do is just cover up the liner. So, you know, a layer that's going to be an inch and a half or so. Um, and thickness is really all you need because if you start going too thick, um, then you can have diminished results as well. And that's because um, if you, say, went with six inches or more of gravel across the entire bottom of a pond, that bottom layer um, deep down under the bottom that's not going to get disturbed by fish activity and, you know, as they're feeding um, will become anaerobic. So we don't want to go too thick. So just enough to cover up the liner. Um, but other than that, you know, you lay the, 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 uh, the gravel down. Um, we always rinse everything down, um, so you want to try to get, you know, the sand and the sediments and, and the silts and stuff off of it uh, before filling it up with water. But other than that, it's pretty darn easy. Yeah, and um, the reason you say not to pour it into, not to put install gravel in, in a full pond is because it's it's going to basically make the water very cloudy and you won't be able to see what you're doing. Um, exactly, so it's, yeah, it's you... Better. you, you, you just drain it down. You have access. You can work comfortably and, and not have to worry about not seeing what you're doing and then letting the pond clear and then going back to work. It, it just makes it kind of a long drawn out process. So draining the pond and adding gravels is going to be the best way to do it. And like you're saying, so if two inches, if a two inch thick layer of gravel is good, that doesn't necessarily mean that six inch layer of gravel is better. Um, Correct. You, you can have diminished results and same thing vice versa. If you go too thin, then you're, again, you're getting some benefit, but not really what I think we are trying to um, promote to people as far as getting full benefit from gravel. So two inches, yep. three inches is a, a good thickness to use with this gravel. I've seen when it's installed too thin, um, because I've done that, I've, I've probably made every mistake. Um, it tends to, you can get bare spots in the liner because like you're saying, fish are working the gravel all the time. They, they, mm -hmm. it actually, in some ways is great exercise for the fish. It keeps them interested. It keeps them engaged with very thin layer of liner, uh, uh, gravel, I'm sorry. You can end up with open spots and bare spots on your, with your liner and nobody really wants to yeah. see that. So no, the right exactly. thickness, <laughs> yeah, it'll benefit people in, in many, many different ways. Um, 
Do you ever utilize under gravel suction grids? When I, um, you know, as a kid, what got me into I, what got me into ponds is fish. I've always been a fish keeper, even from, I mean, when I was in kindergarten, I had black mollies and fancy guppies and all this kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, and one of the methods, you know, in the aquarium industry, and we borrow a lot from the aquarium industry as far as technology, we borrow a lot from, from many, many industries, but um, the under gravel filter was a really great um, leap forward in aquarium filtration. So, do you utilize undergravel filter or undergravel suction grids with gravel um, ponds at all? I, yeah, you know what? I have. Um, I don't do it on a regular basis, um, <clears throat> not because it doesn't work or it's not effective. <clears throat> it just it jumps up um, the complexity level, I guess, just from a, um, taking care of it from an installation standpoint uh, and from a cost standpoint. So there is a cost associated with it. You may have to add in a secondary pump for it. Um, so it, it changes the game a little bit. So it's kind of a budget driven thing. And it's also driven by, um, the goals of the customer. So whenever, uh, uh, I'm doing a design consultation, I, I do a pretty thorough, um, evaluation and, uh, I shouldn't say evaluation, kind of, uh, just a discussion with the consumer or the homeowner, exactly what their goals are. And if I find somebody that, uh, that is looking for that, uh, that um, super tricked out system, yeah, we, you know what? We may put in an under gravel suction type of a system where we're drawing water down through the gravel um, over into a pumped uh, area and then recirculating that water, you know, back through a waterfall or a jet system or something like that. Um, and it's a way to, to pull any, uh, any debris in the water column down into the gravel bed where it can actually be broken down. So they can be very effective. Um, I don't know if I've seen better results. I shouldn't say that. So I have done it, but uh, um, it's kind of one of those bells and whistles type things that I don't know if it's 100% necessary or not. But it, it... I've I've used them here and there. Um, I've I've been building ponds a long time. I've used uh, probably a, a handful in our pond construction, and um, I mean I personally haven't seen a big difference in water quality or clarity or anything like that because I have a suction grid or not. So I, I kind mm-hmm. of feel like you do. It's, it's a bell, it's a whistle. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. you, it, it certainly is not, um, harmful, but, but it's not a necessity either if you're using gravel in a pond. So I don't want people to feel like, you know, you have to go through this extra step simply because you're using gravel. Um, so, um, yeah, right. I'm kind of on the same page, same page as you. So, I mean, if, if gravel is used properly, it can have tremendous benefits to a pond system as far as filtration and, and many other reasons that we've discussed. But there still is a lot of what what I would just say are, are myths out there as far as gravel. So I, I was hoping you'd do some, some myth busting with me, and I'm going to throw <laughs> some scenarios at you that, that okay. I come across all the time. So I, I know yeah. that other people are seeing these things too. So I, I just want to, you know, clear the air in a way, because again, it's, this is about trying to get everybody to understand if, if you don't understand why somebody would use gravel, because there's a lot of scary, scary stories out there. You know, you, you're putting gravel on your pond and your fish are going to die and all this kind of stuff. So let's, let's talk about some of those. And you know, for, first of all, people think that using gravel in pond systems is a is a new method, but 
but it's actually been around quite some time. You guys helped to popularize this methodology at, at Aquascape, but it, it's been around for a while. Is that correct? Oh yeah. Um, I, yeah, well before, you know, I, you know, Aquascape and myself have started building ponds for sure. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been around for many, many, many years. Yeah. It's been around a long time. And the reason is because it works, <laughs> you yep. know, it's yeah, yeah. kind of like if plain and simple, eventually it's, <laughs> yeah, it's going to fall to the wayside. Like why, you know, when I was using um, wood chips in the bottom of my pond, I found it doesn't work. <laughs> so I don't do it. Um, one of the biggest things that I see is that people believe that gravel makes a pond dirty. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know what? That's a, that is a very common uh, a common concern that I've heard uh, as well. Um, well, my thoughts are the exact opposite because I have done I don't even a countless number of renovations where we've started with an existing liner pond where I would go out, evaluate the system with the, with the homeowner and uh, see the water quality that they had, see the health of the fish. Uh, <clears throat> we would come in, um, completely renovate it, put in a rock and gravel substrate. Um, in some, some situations, just rock and gravel, no other changes. And then in others, we might add the rock and gravel plus a skimmer and a biological filter. Um, but the results um have been have, were huge changes so those original um bare bottom bare liner ponds um would have in some situations uh several inches uh, or more of kind of a uh, black muck type of a uh, uh, material down on the bottom of decomposing fish waste um fish food uneaten fish food uh leaf debris lawn clippings and things like that so just kind of this mucky nasty layer uh, you know, building up down on the bottom. Um, and then because of that, uh, the fish, because of their habits, um, want to feed on the bottom. So they're going down looking for any edible stuff down in the bottom. And all they're doing is stirring up this muck. So this, uh, the water kind of stays kind of this murky, um, this murky kind of color to it, you know, very, uh, sometimes almost like a black, other times it could be hazy, depending upon the total substrates, but it'll, it'll change a little bit. And it's kind of a, a kind of a dirty situation. Um, so by us going in, putting in that, uh, the rock and gravel, not really changing anything else. And I've seen dramatic changes. So we don't have that muck and sludge layer build up. Um, that's because of the bacterias and the microbes within the gravel are breaking down the uh, organic compounds. Um, the fish could go in there and feed. There is some uh, sediment buildup. I'm not going to say there's none because you are going to have sediment that's going to build up in between the, uh, the spaces of the gravel where the fish can't stir it up on a regular basis and it can't break down fast enough, but it's a manageable amount of uh, material. Um, so the cleanliness of the pond, the water, qual uh, water quality and clarity, you know, it's a 180-degree turn. I mean, it's just a night and day type of a difference. Yeah, and I don't even have anything to add to that because I agree with you 100%, and I have experienced the exact same thing where I've come to ponds that have uh, poor clarity, bad water quality, um, sedimented water, and we've done something as simple as added gravel, and it has turned the pond around with great water quality, great water clarity. So gravel making ponds dirty is just not true. Um, there's other people, other other um, myths that I've seen where they uh, people say that gravel 
is going to create deadly gases in your pond, like <laughs> hydrogen sulfide and methane, and it's going to kill all your fish. Um, right. What, what say you? <clears throat> well, it, it goes back to installing it properly. So uh, in extreme situations, so if you were to put, you know, 6, 8, 10, 12 inches of gravel down in place um, across the entire bottom of the pond without any circulation or water movement going through that gravel bed, it will become anoxic. And through that process of, of low oxygen, decomposition does occur, but it's not complete decomposition. So um, if you have a perfect scenario, so if you have perfect dissolved oxygen, the mi microbes and bacterias, organic compounds are going to fall into the pond. They will, be con they will be a food source for the microorganisms. The microorganisms will feed on that, uh, that organic compound. They'll break it basically down into inorganic salts, carbon dioxide and water. Now that's in a perfect world. There's no such really, there's really no such thing in perfect, perfect conditions. But if you have yeah. thick gravel beds um, and material falls down inside and you have a lack of oxygen, um, you don't have aerobic digestion, you have anaerobic. So during that process, you don't have complete uh, uh, degradation um, of that organic matter. So you will get exactly that. You will get methane, you will get hydrogen sulfide. You get that swamp gas smell coming out of water, um, and that's because it's an anaerobic condition that uh, that's yep. done improperly. So that means something was done wrong. Um, but that's very easy to remedy if there's too much gravel. Maybe there's not enough circulation. You know, there's a lot of factors that can go into it. But that is a completely different animal. So if done properly, you will not have uh, you know gases and things that are going to build up. Now I will say this. Um, you will have some anaerobic zones in a rock and gravel type of a pond. And what I mean by anaerobic, you will have pockets under big boulders. You will have pockets underneath some of your aquatic plant uh, containers and pots um, where you're not going to have adequate circulation and dissolved oxygen. It's not the end of the world. So when you're talking to a fish fanatic and everybody's talking about, you know, aerobic conditions and dissolved oxygen, I agree 100%. Those are extremely important. But go back to nature. Go back to what we're replicating. We are replicating a natural system. And in every natural system, you will have aerobic zones and you will have anaerobic zones. The difference is the aerobic zones are going to be bigger and, and more abundant than the anaerobic zone. So having a small areas and pockets where there isn't a lot of flow is not the end of the world. It's okay. Um, it's not going to kill the fish. Um, and in fact, it can be beneficial for the pond because under anaerobic conditions, you will have nitrate turn into nitrogen gas. So there is, that is part of the nitrogen cycle to have a certain amount of anaerobic conditions available inside of a pond. So it's not the end of the world. Um, it is actually mm -hmm. a good thing. So if you follow along and think of all these things and the ultimate goal of the water feature, you won't have any worries at all. Yeah. Uh, I personally think it's um and i you know i've seen here and there sometimes where these ponds get to these conditions but over 20 years i would say i've, I've only seen a handful so for me personally yeah. i i consider it a pretty rare can it happen yes does it happen yeah but it's pretty rare and right. in my experience i i typically am, am chalking it up to poor pond management it's not the gravel's fault the gravel didn't do it it's the person who is feeding their fish like crazy. 
um, or just neglecting their pond for two, three, four years, and then all of a sudden start, it starts smelling. These aren't conditions that happen overnight. These aren't conditions that happen because you added gravel on Monday, and by Friday your pond is ready to blow up because of all these gases that are escaping from it. So I always yeah. say don't, don't blame the gravel. Most of this is due to poor pond management. So, you know, everything requires maintenance. So people need to be on top of that. But um, the whole deadly gas thing, I see it come up again and again. And I just would like to uh, bust that myth. I, I mean, again, I know it can happen. I think it's extremely rare that it happens. Now, here, here's something. I just pulled off one of the boards. This is word for word. I, I pulled this off of one of the Facebook boards that I go to. Um, mm -hmm. And here's my quote. Uh, gravel is a breeding ground for gram-negative bacteria, parasites, and all sorts of other nasty critters. Um, <laughs> I don't look at it as a breeding awesome. ground for those. Yeah, and that's no, a quote. It's, um, it, it, it's, it's the exact opposite. It is a breeding ground. It's a breeding ground for the, a diversity of microorganisms. So can you have some bad stuff in there? Well, of course you can, but it's going to be outweighed by the good stuff. And, again, it's all part of a natural system. So um, if you have, um, you know, a potential parasite, but if you have different organisms that will feed on the parasite, the parasite's not a problem because it became food for something else. It, came, it became food for the dragonfly naiads, which, um, which and, I'll, and I'll go off on a little tangent here, um, my personal pond, um, I will have, gosh, I don't, I don't even know how many dragonflies in and around my pond laying eggs. So on a summer's day, I, I could see dozens of them darting and flying all around the pond surface, um, laying eggs. And then when I do my pond maintenance, I clean out the pond. Usually every other year, um, I'll come in and I'll, I'll drain it and power wash it and all that stuff um, and clean everything out. But I will find bucket loads of dragonfly naiads. And if you're, a, um, if you're familiar with stream ecology or aquatic ecology, um, Dragonfly naiads are considered indicator species, and an indicator species, what I mean by that is these are found in high-quality lakes, rivers, and streams. So they cannot survive in situations where you have methane gas. They cannot survive in situations where you have hydrogen sulfide gases because it's toxic to them. They need high-quality, good water quality. So I have like I said, bucket loads of these things in there, and it's because I have high water quality. Now, if I were to drain my pond down, and instead of dragonfly naiads, um, I found bloodworms and leeches. Those are the organisms and animals that are found in degraded systems. Those are the organisms that are usually associated with methane gas and hydrogen sulfide type of systems. I don't have those things in my pond. Um, I, we clean out. I won't even say me personally, but Aquascape um, cleans out 500-plus ponds a year. Um, every single year, we clean out 500-plus water features that we've designed and built. We don't have leeches and bloodworms and all these crazy things living in there. We don't see it. And like you said right in the very beginning, if we saw these things occurring, we would change our methods. All we're seeing is yeah. high water quality, the dragonflies, the damselflies, these good indicator species are there because the water quality is good. If you have good water quality, don't mess with it. You know, that's all we need to yeah. do. If, if we're achieving, achieving those results, we've done our job. So I'm not messing with the system as of, as of this point unless I see something bad happening. 
Yeah. And and the biggest, most common complaint, this is like a countdown, um, is that gravel is very difficult to clean and maintain. What do you think? <laughs> uh, again, the, <laughs> it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, it's the exact yeah. opposite. Um, you know, I know, when you go in, you're not seeing the sludge and the muck build up. Um, you know, can you come in with a shovel and scoop out sediment in the bottom? No. Um, well, number one, because you'd scoop all the gravel out. But number two, you don't need to because you're not having that much sediment build up. So what we do uh, when we're cleaning a pond, um, our goal, and I've used this analogy before, um, think of a river system. Um, think of a river system in springtime. You get your spring floods. You get your snow melts. You get your heavy rains in spring. These are natural flushing actions for lakes, rivers, and streams throughout the world that flushes all this stuff out into our estuaries and oceans eventually. So that, that's yeah. the process that happens naturally. We're replicating that when we do a pond cleanout. We're going to drain it down. We're going to flush everything out, and then we fill it back up with water. Is it a long process? Usually not. You know, you're going to drain it down. You, you might power wash everything. That's because the pumps could be off all winter long. Um, you're going to clean out any, uh, any debris, trim up water lilies, and then fill it back up with water, and you're ready, to, you're ready to go. Yeah, I think it's very easy. I actually think there's, there's a little bit of there's some zen to cleaning gravel. <laughs> it actually <laughs> For can be sure. relaxing in some ways. It's, it's really not, it's not so bad. So, cool. So, okay, a couple quick, quick questions. So if it's a well-maintained rock and gravel pond, do you see any reason that somebody should shy away from keeping a $100 koi in a pond like that? Uh, say, say that again? If somebody has a well-maintained rock and gravel pond, is there any reason that they should shy away from keeping a $100 value koi in that pond? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. I mean, uh, um, if it's a well-maintained rock and gravel pond, I mean, you you could have $1,000 koi inside of there. I mean, there's uh, the uh, the pickier the koi or the, the higher the quality of koi, the more the r reason to have the rock and gravel inside of it because it's going to have that diversity. It's going to have that habitat that those fish are actually looking for. Exactly. And they are happy. They're happy fish inside these ponds. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, this is a, this is great information, Ed. I, I hope that um, people get to access this and listen to this and and hear some some of your thoughts on uh, gravel use within pond systems. I um, you know and listen. I learned from you and and thank you for everything you've done for me. Thank you for everything you do for the industry. Um, you're you're absolutely tremendous. And thank you so much for coming on tonight and, and sharing your knowledge and experience. We're all going to be looking forward to uh, the future of the pond industry. Everything's changing, seems to be changing for the better and moving in a great direction. And uh, thanks for your mentorship to, to myself, so many other people, too, and, and being a voice of reason in this very confusing world of information at times. And um, thanks for being a friend and coming on the show tonight. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas, Ed. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you uh, for everything. Thanks for all you do. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of the Pond Hunter show. Um, I've seen all your right. work. Uh, so I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, uh, uh, you know, a, a big fan. So, you know, thanks for all that you do to promote the industry as well. 
um, you know, getting the word out there. Um, it is my pleasure to come on and talk. I, I hope I have an opportunity to do it again sometime in the future. And uh, I hope, I hope so you have a great, a great holiday as well. Awesome. Ed, thank you so much for coming on. Have a great night. Uh, say hello to Ellen and the kids and, and enjoy the holidays. And um, I will catch up with you soon. All right. Sounds good. You have a great evening. Okay. Thanks, Ed. Take good care. All right. Thanks. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye. That's Ed Ballou, everybody. Pond builder extraordinaire, TV star, mentor, teacher, and innovator. He's a mover and shaker and well-respected expert in the industry. And I just love that guy. He's a great guy. Um, in the most healthy way, of course. You guys can find Ed on Facebook. His Facebook page is facebook.com slash ed.ballou, B-E-A-U-L-I-E-U. You can also find his blog there. Ed is on Twitter, at Ed Ballou, and on the Aquascape Ponds YouTube channel. Watch for the new Pond Stars coming out soon. You can find Pond Stars on Hulu and YouTube right now, and other outlets coming up uh, soon that I'll keep you updated on. And if you'd like to get involved with the Aquascape Foundation, go to aquascapefoundation.org. And thanks again, Ed. You're awesome. Thanks for everything you do. Great show, great information, and enjoy your holidays, and have a very Merry Christmas. Don't blame the gravel, everybody. Um, this is a topic I'm really glad we covered. I really think there's a lot of misunderstanding in the use of gravel in pond systems, so please don't hate when you hear about gravel being used in ponds. The fact is, this type of construction is much more popular than any other method of pond construction, far exceeding concrete pond construction these days. And um, that's for a reason. And I truly hope that this discussion helps to clear the air on gravel. I, I hope it helps to bust some of the myths that are still being spread out there to this very day. Um, I don't know what the motivation is of those who are anti-gravites, but this method of pond construction is not going away anytime soon. And I, for one, intend to try to keep it going nice and strong. On the next show, it's going to be New Year's Eve, everybody. Two weeks from today, a week from today is Christmas. Week from Two weeks from today is New Year's Eve, the next show. Um, I will be doing a show. It'll be an early show and a short show, but I hope you guys will all check it out. It will be the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast Year in Review. This was a big year for this broadcast. It was the first year for the broadcast, and it was a big year in the industry. I'll be taking a look back at 2014. Um, so tune in New Year's Eve and. Of course, you can download that at any time as well. And I'll be tweeting out some blog posts from the Love Your Pond blog. Uh, there will be some posts on gra gravel use in, um, that I'll be tweeting out, and you can go to loveyourpond.com and sign up for the blog and have it delivered right to your email. And uh, I'd love to have you guys all on board. I could use some more readers, so let's do it. Please check out the Pond Hunter YouTube channel for some great pond-related videos, pond projects, and stuff. Give a follow. And I will have some new video content coming out in 2015. I'm really looking forward to a new series of videos that I'm going to be working on for the Pond Hunter YouTube channel. I'll be tweeting out those videos as well. You can check me out on Twitter at the Pond Hunter, and uh, you can catch me at BlogTalkRadio.com and on YouTube. So come on, people, hook me up. Um, Mike Gannon, everybody, thanks for tuning in. I'm going to leave you all with a song for tonight and wishes for a beautiful holiday season. Merry Christmas, everybody. And be safe. Let your loved ones know you love them this time of year. And keep it pondy, everybody. We'll catch up with you soon. Happy holidays.
been listening to the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Mike Gannon, the Pond Hunter. In the pursuit of all things aquatic, broadcasting Wednesday nights on Blog Talk Radio. The Pond Hunter, keeping it pondy for the aquatically obsessed. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time on the Pond Hunter Radio Broadcast. Merry Christmas, everyone.
Keep it pondy. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.